Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of Almost Awakened. I'm your host, Mikkel. And this is Bill. And today we're talking shadow work with our wives. Yeah, so we've got uh, my wife, Amanda. Hello. And my wife, Kelsey. Hey. And so, Mikkel, uh, the four of us were sitting at a restaurant a couple weeks ago. And we sat outside after we got done eating and paid our bill. And we're sitting outside and we're talking, the four of us, about shadow work. And in the meantime, as we've been doing episodes the last few weeks, people have been reaching out and messaging uh, us and asking us what we mean by shadow work. So what do we mean by that? So my definition is um, my shadows are my shit. How would you define it? Um, They're the mechanisms I've used my whole life to protect me and to shield me from criticism and to allow me to manipulate others. Uh, And they no longer on this side of things are serving a healthy purpose. Yeah, you're shit. Yeah. Yeah, you said it in a really short way. I gave the long sentence. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was a very flowery answer. But yes, same thing. Yeah. And what about the two of you? What do you guys think in terms of shadow work? Um, I, I love it, but I hate it at the same time. Um, for me, it's, it's recognizing the things that I do, like you said, to protect myself or to make things someone else's fault or to not um, take responsibility for my own actions and for my thoughts and my feelings. Um, but I, I love it because I'm... I want to be a better human being and I want to stop doing the the things that I've always done that aren't healthy. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the thing that I've come to notice the most for myself is that my, my shadows were my way to be able to create comfort within myself too. Because nobody likes to feel crappy about themselves. They don't like to feel that discomfort when, you know, you're doing something wrong or whatever. And so my shadows were my way of being able to resolve those unhappy feelings in myself and not in a healthy way. Um, and so part of this journey for me is trying to find better ways to deal with that discomfort without hurting other people. How about for you? I agree with Kelsey there too. Um, You know, it's worked for so long until we've noticed it doesn't work and that it's our parts of us that really aren't so nice. Um, We think we're protecting ourselves, but um, some of it looks very ugly. And I I was listening to something the other day and um, he said that if we want to cultivate light, you have to work in the darkness. And so that really resonated with me. Um, So... We have to get rid of this darkness and be comfortable working in it and go through the pain so we can grow so we can be in the light. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I I think it would be helpful if we maybe each took a turn and talked about some of the shadow work going on in our own lives. Uh, And I wonder maybe if the two of you would start and and maybe just share something you've in the last year or so that, you know, you've had attention drawn to maybe one of your mechanisms or one of your, your shadows and 
and how you came to be aware of it, what you've done to confront it, and, and what that process has looked like? Well, to go back over a year, I'm, there's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, we've had stuff come up just in the last few days. Um, so why don't you start? Uh, I think one of the the biggest things for me is that I have always been really good with with the way I say things. Um, and so I can be very good at twisting things and making it someone else's fault and and actually I'm very good at getting other people to believe that it's their fault, even when the reality is that it, it, it was something within me. So one of my biggest things is I project, um, like I said before, I don't like to feel that unsettled feeling inside of me. Um, and so when I feel that I tend to project it onto other people. And usually that's due to, my ego being poked or it's usually my ego. I'm feeling hurt in some way that I'm not good enough or I, I haven't done something right. And so instead of just sitting with that and internalizing that discomfort, I take that and project it onto someone else. And, and usually it's Mikkel cause she's right here and she loves me even when I do it to her. And um, I will project that onto her and make it seem like it's her fault that, I, that I'm unhappy. And, and I'm very good at twisting that and making it seem like it is her fault. So give us an example, Kelsey. Like when, when, has that, when has that happened and what did we do to fix it? So um, one of the examples I have is when I was looking for a job and uh, it was an evening, Mikkel had come back home from work. She works, I'm just going to school. Um, and so, but I've been looking for a job and she, I was sitting on the couch with the kids watching a show and she was at the table working on the computer and she calls me over. She's like, Hey, Kelsey, come over, come over to the table. And um, I was like, all right. So I walk over there and she's like, Hey, I was looking for some jobs for you. And here, here are some jobs. And immediately my ego was poked immediately. I got defensive because I felt like I was not doing my part. So I started making up excuses in my head and to Mikkel like, Oh, well, I was going to do that tomorrow and I just wanted to relax and enjoy time with the kids. And so then I kind of got snippy and I was like, but I'll, I'll sit and do it now anyway. And she could just feel that turmoil and that, that upset that I had in myself. And, uh, and she then, cause I projected it onto her. She started to internalize that going, okay, she didn't even know why I was reacting this way. And, uh, she had to, she started talking to me and we started fighting and, and then Mikkel tends to be more outwardly emotional than me, which is also another one of my shadows. <laughs> I, I pretend like I have all of my shit put together on the outside when an inside I'm, I am a, I'm a fucking mess. So she got emotional and it kind of spiraled. And so I then was trying to get her out of this emotional spiral. And, but I was still putting the blame on her. And we went pretty late into the night having this disagreement and this struggle. And it wasn't until 
I finally stopped and I was like, okay, where did this even start? Like, how did this happen? And I went back through my head to the very beginning of where the tension started and realized that that tension had started in myself, that that was, that was me. That was my ego being poked and my discomfort that I projected onto her. And I was the one that caused all of this. And, and it was at that point I was like, okay, (laughs) I've been doing this a long, long time. That was my defense mechanism, but it's not healthy. Uh, and it was, that was one of the major aha moments for me of, okay, I need to be more aware of my part and taking that, that on myself and sitting with that and, and learning to be comfortable with that uncomfortable, that uncomfort that I feel when I'm, you know, when my ego's poked or anything, just sitting with that feeling rather than projecting it. So how how easy is it to to address that, like they call this thing shadow work. How easy is it to sit with your your mechanisms and try to fix them? Well, it's because I've done it for so long, and I think this is how it is for most people. You, it's I am very quick to fall back into that, um, and so oftentimes it takes Mikkel being like, "Hey, you know, you, you need to look at your part in this. This is not all my fault," and so. It's getting easier, it's getting better, and it definitely helps to have her support in this. Um, but I'd like to say that I I have to, I've learned to try to sit and just not be as reactive. And like I said, it, it just, it's hard when you've done it for so long, it it's really hard. But Mikkel has been a big part of that for me and, uh, and friends. I mean, we have, we have, such amazing friends that are willing to call us out on our shit. And, and I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Yeah. I, that same. Mikkel, what about you? What, what kind of shadows do you have that have been exposed recently? Oh, I, like every day there's something else. And for me, uh, there's certain times when I'm hyper aware of my shadows and other times I'm aware, but I don't really want to acknowledge it. Um, and I, I feel like we talk about our shadows pretty regularly on the show, but what's come up recently? I'm trying to think of what? <laughs> See no, just, just even from last night, you not uh, blaming yourself so much. Yeah, I, I tend to, when I'm aware of my shadow, I tend to get caught in a shame storm. So I will judge myself. I'm super hypercritical. And I, I spiral that way. Um, I, you know, I texted you earlier this week. So Kelty and I had gotten into an argument Tuesday night and it, I spiraled and just, I couldn't get myself out of that spiral. And so I texted you the next day and, you know, shared my struggle. And sometimes it takes like a slap in the face almost. It, it, it almost takes someone being firm and, but loving in order for me to pull out of that. Um, cause you were like, yeah, you're above the rules. Nothing applies to you. You just may wave your magic wand and everything's better. And I was like, oh yeah. Would, would you read, that, would you read that text? Would, do sure. you feel comfortable? I think the listeners would really get a kick out of maybe what's going on in both of our heads as we're having this exchange. 
Yeah, let me pull it up. So I, I texted you that I was still struggling, you know, still stuck in the shame cycle. And um, you said that you said you're a work in progress. You have adopted and had imposed on you the unhealthy mechanisms of 10 generations. You are a living thing full of flaws and strengths, full of good and bad. Um, you're not going to fix... Oh, you're going to fix it, the part of you that does this thing, but you're not going to fix it today. But that's an important part of the process. And I responded and I said, yeah, I hear all of that, but it doesn't sound like it should apply to me. I can't let go of my own expectations and the standards I hold myself to. And it's, it is, it's easy for me to make space and allow other people, you know, to work through their shadows, but I don't allow that for myself. I know it's unhealthy. And you replied, insert sarcasm, because that's what I heard when you sent this text, was you saying this in your sarcastic voice. Um, yep, you're above the rules. The rest of us have to just sit in our shit over and over again, nicking away at it in improvement, but you just get to magically wave a wand and it should be gone. And anything less than it disappearing immediately is on you. And you said, my guess is you even reading this probably pissed you off, but you're not above the rules. And I know intellectually you know that, but emotionally you want to punish yourself because hell, everybody's punished you for all of your shortcomings. Every time you messed up, you deserve to get punished, but that's bullshit. You're amazing and you don't need me telling you that. You just want to overcome it without that. And then you said that we're all cool people and we all do stupid and shitty things. So it is. It, I think we have to be aware and we have to make a conscious choice and we have to listen to others because sometimes our perspective is skewed or we don't see what we think we're seeing. Yeah. And I know, I know when I sent that text, it was in my snarky voice. I, I wanted to poke you almost kind of like shake you a little bit, just shake you up and say like, look, you're beating yourself up. Cause my message really is uh, one of love. It's, it's don't beat yourself up, man. This is, this is hard work. It takes a ton of time. We, we make these mistakes over and over and over again. But I felt like the only way to get through at that moment was to be a little snarky and shake you and then come in really strong with like love and concern at the end um, to try to to try to move you into seeing like, oh, yeah, we're all doing this thing. We're all good people. And but we're all doing this thing where we're messing up over and over these things we don't want to be doing anymore. And yet part of us does still want to do them. And we right. use these mechanisms over and over and over. And, and we have to be patient with ourselves. Right. And, and that's something that um, I'm learning. It's not always easy. Um, but, it, you know, Kelsey and I say to each other, like, be nice to my Mikkel or be nice to my Kelsey when we get caught in those moments where we are beating ourselves up. We wouldn't talk to our kids or our friends the way or, or our, you know, our spouse the way that we talk to ourselves. Yeah, we can be our own worst critic. I, I did find it interesting that you've got kind of a shadow with your shadows. In other words, you get exposed to your shadows. You feel bad that they're there. You you sense like this is something that's unhealthy. And then you go into another shadow, which is to beat yourself up over the shadow that you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. I recognize that. And it's hard. But it's it's also easy to do because I've noticed when when some of my bigger shadows come out and I, and you know, they slap me in the face, I do the same thing too. And I think what you said before, just so the listener understands, like nobody's perfect. 
we're always going to be messing up in some way or another and because we're just human. That's just the way it's going to be. And you do need to be aware that even in those moments when you mess up, you're still, you're still a great human being and you need to be nice to yourself in those times too. Yeah. And there's an interesting thing going on, which is, you know, I mentioned in that text to you that you've had 10 generations of trauma imposed on you. Like our shadows didn't just magically appear. There's, there's, I think three things going on. One is that when uh, our parents, they had unhealthy mechanisms too, and they put those on display and they, they caused us trauma and their, and their parents caused them and their parents caused them. And um, so one is that these things get passed along from generation to generation. I am, I am in many ways, full of the shadows that my mom has and full of the shadows that my dad has. And sometimes the second one, sometimes we're lucky and we can step away from that mechanism and it, it breaks the cycle. So my, my grandfather was very abusive and he was very hard on his kids. They were scared to death of him. They would run and hide underneath their beds and he would get a broomstick out and I mean, beat the hell out of them until they came out from under the bed and then beat them some more whenever he was upset with something they were doing. And some of my uh, aunts and uncles, his kids, carried on that those mechanisms of anger and abuse. And my dad got, you know, for whatever reason, my dad was able to break the cycle. My dad never abused me. And he was able to, to displace that mechanism to see that it, it didn't work. And he very early in his adulthood said, like, I'm not going to parent the way my grandpa did. And then on the other, and then the third one is that we sometimes develop our own new shadows that our parents didn't give us. Maybe it came from something at school. Maybe it came from a friend we play with, played with, but we sometimes develop these new shadows and this is just, it's going to happen. Like from generation to generation, my kids are going to have shit and their kids are going to have shit. And we're, we're hoping collectively that we humans get better at this thing. But man, it is, it, you start off with, with a ton of these already imposed upon you that you adopt. Yeah. Um, it, it's, for me, I have to make a conscious choice. I have to, I have to sit down and figure out what it is that I want. And then that makes it easier to see what I don't want. Um, but I'm not, I'm by no means an expert or perfect at it. Um, and, and it helps, like Kelsey said, to have friends that are willing to, um, call you out on your shit, not in a way that's like, I'm a better person than you, but like just out of love, like, Hey, I'm seeing this behavior and you may not realize it. And so I'm, I'm willing to be that good of a friend. I'm willing to love you that much that I'm going to say what needs to be said. Um, but knowing that it comes from love. And so I I think for me, having, having, especially you and Amanda in my life, um, has really helped me grow. Um, because I've never had people, and same with Kelsey, I've never had people in my life that are, one, working on their own shit, but two, willing to see mine and still love me. Yeah, I think that's crucial to, to working on this stuff is to have voices that fully accept you, but are also willing to help you become aware of where things aren't healthy and where it's not really working. I think that uh, a big part of of this, you know, these shadows in the human race getting better is by people waking up and, and sitting with themselves and looking at that. And I think that 
it, that's really difficult because people want to just, they want to put out to the world. I know uh, for me speaking personally for a really long time, I wanted to look as perfect as I could to the outside. And when you do that, you, you're st- I felt like I was stuck in this cycle and I wasn't expanding and I wasn't changing. And now that I am letting myself look and be more vulnerable, um, this, that, that has allowed me to grow and be in a much better place. And I think, I think that this is going to change. I think it's going to change humanity as we learn to sit with ourselves. Yeah, very much. Amanda, what, uh, like what kind of shadows are you seeing or working on or what's your story? So I think the newest one that has come up for me is um, my martyr complex. Much like Mikkel, I am very good at beating myself and up, going down the hole, shame, guilt, um, and all those things. And um, in the past, while working through things, like I hear people tell me, don't play the victim card, and that never resonated with me, and I don't feel like I'm playing a victim. And then just like a week or two ago, you know, we were like, you know what, it's not the victim, it's the martyr. And um, I was reading something on the internet that was saying how poisonous that actually is. Um, So, for instance, if Bill and I are working through something hard and he shows any part of, wow, this is really hard, then I just throw up my hands, fine, I'll do it by myself, I won't bring it up again, you won't have to worry about it, I got this, I'll do it. You know, so trying to put all the blame on me, not letting him take any of his part, um, but doing it kind of in a nasty way, um, in a not fair way. Um, yeah, it seems to show up. I mean, last night we were at a get together and we were working through my, my wife is wanting, she's wanting it. And again, you can stop me and correct me at any point, Amanda, but you were, you were, it seemed like you were wanting an audience. Like you wanted to notify people of all of Bill's unhealthiness and set yourself up as like, woe is me and, and pointing out these things I need to overcome and some of these things you were pointing out, I'm sitting there and I'm getting, I'm getting upset because some of these things you're pointing out, I haven't really said, and I don't, th- I'm not, I don't think that thing, or I said it once seven months ago, but it's a story that's constantly running through your head now, and and so this martyr complex kind of sometimes plays it out by trying to find an audience, and then put yourself up as a martyr and, and let everybody know that this other person's the villain and you're the good guy, um, and and I just don't know that those stories. Or help me. Obviously, sometimes people really are causing us trauma, and we need to stand up to that, and we need to speak out. But a lot of times, too, we've got stories running in our head, and they're really not the other person's story, and yet we impose that story on them uh, in in an audience setting so that we can make that person look bad and make ourselves look good. And it felt like last night, maybe for the first time, like I was, there was this moment where it just happened differently. And I want to say this too to the two of you, man, when you start leaning into shadow work, it naturally shows up differently. Like it happens and then you see it for the first time. And and I find those moments pretty amazing. It felt like last night, Amanda, that you kind of saw that for the first time. And, And so I got this moment of validation going like, oh, she sees it. We can, we can now start to work on that because she notices she's doing it. Right. And um, storytelling is another one of my worst features. Um, so I, I tell everybody's story instead of asking them what their story is and taking their word. I make up the story and it's the way I say it is and that's just how it is. And so yeah, last night, I think you're right. I saw it 
I really saw it, or willing to see it maybe, last night. And another thing um, I'm really bad at is, for some reason, I won't give you affirmation. Like my sister would say, oh my gosh, Bill, you are so funny. And I'm like, no, I can't say that out loud. Um, so yeah, for my validation, I feel like I have to tear you down and not give you positive feedback. And, you know, and that really hit me Sorry, last guys, night. we have no audio. Oh, sorry, I hit the mute button again. Go ahead, baby. I don't even know it, I'll, I'll have it on my end. She, Okay. Um, she was talking about uh, Lydia saying that I'm funny and how Amanda feels like if she gives me any praise or affirmation, she um, essentially is going to give me a big head. And so she doesn't – she stops shy of that when really it is healthy to let our partners know the things they do well and the things they do good and to help us all feel good about each other. Right. Yeah. So last night, yeah, I was just really thinking like – why don't I want Bill to have a big head? Like, he should. He's such an amazing person. He should have a big head, and he should be able to feel good about himself, and especially from his wife. So, yeah, I think some things shifted last night. And and I'll just say, too, sharing one of my shadows, and it's one that I haven't overcome perfectly, but but something that I'm aware of and I'm working on. I For the longest time, and it points to something Kelsey said earlier, where when... So let me say it this way. I am uh, in a family where I have one brother and we're four years apart. And it allowed me to essentially almost kind of be raised by my parents kind of as an only kid for some of that time. And then such an age difference that I was kind of doing my own things and I could kind of do my own life and not, not have my brother be any kind of conflict for that. But one of the things that it did was I became um, bothered by chaos. In other words, my wife is one of eight kids. I'm one of two. She was in a home with chaos all the time. There was noise and kids playing and voices raised and just ruckus of, of having a house with that many people. And here I am in this family of two parents, two kids, the kids four years apart. And anything that got loud or chaotic uh, really bothers me at my core. Like I get all twisted up inside. And so as me and my wife start our family... We have four children and my four kids, if they're not sitting quietly and just building a Lego house on the floor, I'm getting all twisted up. I'm in turmoil. I can't stand loud noise. I can't stand the ruckus. And so what I would do, just as you would do, Kelsey, I would begin to say in, inside me, say like, oh, something's wrong outside of me when the reality is what's wrong is the twistedness inside me. And I would then begin to place blame on my kids. And so I yelled a lot. I screamed a lot. Uh, we gave spankings quite a bit when, when I was uh, a young father. And what I did was I essentially traumatized my children every time that I was in turmoil inside. And I imposed that trauma because I needed somewhere to blame besides saying that there was something wrong with me. And I had to learn to sit with some of this chaos. I instead acted out and vented to those around me and placed blame on them and yelled it, screamed at them to settle down or not make noise or to sit quietly, uh, go to your room. And all it and it feels like you're trying to solve the problem. Like, ooh, I'm twisted up. And if I yell at them, it'll make the situation better. Sometimes it did and sometimes it didn't. But the real core of the unhealthiness was inside of me, not outside of me. Yeah, you and I are alike in that way. You know, I grew up in a very strict and structured home, so we weren't allowed to make noise or 
um, cause a ruckus. And if we wanted to do those things, we had to go outside and not make noise, you know, for my parents. And so I struggle with the same thing. Um, chaos, I really struggle with chaos and I've realized it's because I feel out of control inside. I can't control the noise. I can't control the ruckus. And so it causes me to feel out of control inside. And the only way that I can make that feel better is to control the outside. And it, it, you know, I look at my kids now, um, Kelsey's kids are way more fun and easygoing and relaxed. And my kids, they don't, they don't know how to play. They don't know how to be silly or goofy. And, you know, that was something that, that I passed on to them or imposed on them. And it's something that I regret. And it's something that I like, there's a small part of me that wants to change, but also that feels very scary. Well, Bill, I was having a hard time waking up this morning. You know how it goes. You stay up too late partying or hanging out with friends. And then you've got to get up early to record a podcast. So what do we do in those instances? And on every other day of the week? Coffee. Red Roca coffee. It helps you and me as we're awakening in the morning. My favorite brew is Heathens or Good Mojo. And sometimes I like it hot. In the summertime, every once in a while, I'll drink it cold. Red Roca coffee is a small family-owned business here in the United States. If you need a cup of joe to help you awaken, give Red Roca Coffee a try. We're sure you'll like it. We're sure you'll like it. That's Red Roca, R-O-C-A, coffee.com. When you place your order, put in the code AWAKE. A-W-A-K-E. You'll get a 10% discount, and you'll get free shipping on orders over $30. Check out Red Roca Coffee today. Again, Red Roca Coffee. For those times when you need help awakening. Yeah. When, when you... So let me ask this. What is helpful to begin to lean into this space and to start to be aware of of shadow? Ask ask that question again. I need to think about it. So what is it on this side of life that gives us the tools and resources to be to start to be aware of these things, to start to acknowledge them and to start to work on them? Like what is like I never saw any of this in the first half of life. I assumed that I was the one operating the right way and the rest of the world needed to catch up with me. And it's only in the last couple of years uh, that shadow work has really taken the forefront in my life where I'm open to being aware of the, the, the shit that I have and to begin to address it. And I'm just wondering, like, what opens our eyes to that? What, what, is a helpful, what are the helpful tools to begin to sense your own shadow work? So for me, it was, I started reading a lot of books, um, uh, you know, like five, 10 years ago, I started reading Brene Brown and her talking about some of her own shadows and her own, you know, shame and, and other issues. And so seeing other people be willing to talk about it and some of the tools and resources that they had used to um, be aware and, and work to change. Um, so books for me, and then also just finding people who want more out of life um, like I do. And for me, I think leaving a religious system that encourages you to hide your shadows um, has also been really helpful. Yeah, and I think I actually had a little bit of a breakdown this morning, kind of just sitting in in the unhealthiness that I have. And humans, we have this mechanism where we want to 
see ourselves as really good human beings. And, and for the most part, we are, we are good human beings, but sometimes that pushes through and helps disguise and keep us from seeing the, the shadows that we have. And so I was kind of sitting in, in my shadows and sitting in all of this, you know, shit that I have. And I, and I told Mikkel that, you know, sometimes I just want to still pretend and put that protection out because I want, I, I want my friends to love me and to not shame me or push me away when they see my, my weaknesses. And Mikkel said something that was, that, that really helped me. And she said, they already see, they already know that all of your shit, other people can see that probably a lot better than ourselves. Um, and so she said that she said, our friends, they already see it. They know your shadows and they still love you. And that's part of why they love you because we all have shit. We all have shadows. And for me, I think our friends, you know, the people that we interact with, because I don't always see my problems and my shadows, but they do. And they are able to tell me in a loving way that I know is loving that, um, that helps me. Yeah. And to bounce off of that and how we're talking about our, our friends and the support. And it's, it's not just about calling us out. I find it fascinating that there's so much of us that we see in each other that, you know, we're like therapists for each other. We're, we're helping each other. It's not just, Hey, I'm calling out your shit. It's like, Oh shit. I just did that too. How can we work on this? How can we be better people? How can we support each other to keep climbing upward and be better people together? Um, so I think that's really neat. Um, and I was just reading an article for work about innovation and it talks about how innovation comes when you start questioning your belief system and yourself and everything. So I think that kind of rings true here too. Until we're ready to start questioning everything about us and everything we know, I don't think we're going to see the shadows. But once these questionings come up, okay, what's really going on is when we start to see those shadows and our shit and we could be like, oh, yeah. I want to be a better person and I want to move beyond this. Yeah, I'll tell you, and I hope you don't mind me using this example, Mikkel, because I think this is a perfect one of how friends help. Um, we were over at your house on Friday night and um, over the course of the night, we were all having a ton of fun and there was lots of conversation and banter going on. And over the course of the night, there were several occasions where you felt like Kelsey was poking at you, right? Yeah. And you felt like she was intentionally diminishing you uh, on some level and you drew attention to it like you like a conversation ensued there where you're asking Kelsey like why is she poking and Kelsey ends up um, sharing some personal experience and then she ends up going outside right and mm -hmm. I I sat down next to you and I didn't I didn't call you out in front of everybody it didn't seem like like the thing about having good friends who love you is we're all trying to just, in, a, in the healthiest way possible, show validation and affirmation, but also help us all to kind of improve and, and to start to correct these things. I sat down next to you, and there was a moment earlier in the night where um, you were making a statement where you lumped everybody in the room in one box, and then you kind of jokingly said, there's only one person in the room who does it differently, and you pointed at Kelsey. And so I sat down next to you, and I said... Um, this, this, this event, I don't know that you caught this. You're, you're pointing a finger at your girl 
for poking at you, but maybe recognize that there was a moment before that where you might have poked her. And I like I sat next to you and I kind of whispered that over to you. And what I love about you, Mikkel, is that you like you owned it. Like you looked at me and you said, oh, yeah, I can see how I did the same thing that I'm now hurt about her, me thinking her doing to me. I, I think it's incredible when we can sit in a space and our friends don't necessarily take our side, but they share with us like, oh, you do that too. And did you notice you did it just a little bit ago? Um, I remember at one point too, Mikkel, you had mentioned like uh, being a little uh, judgmental of Amanda for one of her shadows. And Kelsey sat down with you and said, you know, you do the same kinds of things. And so I think as we all sit down and just like help each other recognize like your shit's my shit, or maybe it's different shit, but it's still shit nonetheless, that, that we start to just, because we know we're loved in this setting, we get to start to look at these things face on and go like, do I really want this anymore? Yeah. And I think, you know, what Amanda said is, has been um, really instrumental for me is asking those questions like, why am I feeling this way? What exactly is happening? Why did I feel triggered? And instead of making it someone else's fault, really evaluating yourself and just taking responsibility for like just you, um, we can't, we can't ever fix anybody else. We, we can call them out in a loving way and, and try and help them see what they may not see. But if they, if we're not willing to ask questions of ourselves, um, we can't ever, nothing's ever going to change. And, you know, it's, I, I find that I'm I'm searching for those kinds of people. I want those kinds of people in my life, the people that are willing to um, have these types of conversations with me, who are willing to work through their own stuff. Um, you know, we got together this morning with one of my coworkers that we, we haven't seen in a really long time and um, got to hang out with her for a little bit this morning. And part of why I love her so much is because she she'll have these conversations with us. You know, she's like, yeah, dude, that that's, I do that too. And holy cow, how can we help each other not do that anymore? Um, and so I, I just, that's what I want. I want people who are willing to call me out, sit with me in it, still love me, but also do the same. Like let me call them out in a loving way. Um, and who are willing to work through their shadows. I had a, uh, an experience at work this week where uh, an excavator, a, a small like construction loader tractor uh, machine, was, uh, it was in loan and the, and the customer didn't come back for it. So we put it on KSL, which is a local like online newspaper with classified ads and stuff. And so we started getting phone calls on this excavator. We, we put a price on it and it had a lot of interest. And so the first guy that called us was lived up in Idaho Falls. And so I think this was on Friday. Uh, I, I knew that this customer or this potential customer was going to come down from Idaho Falls and, and come to our store on Saturday morning to buy this, this excavator. And my boss, who's also a friend of ours, Chris, uh, asked me to keep him in the loop about what this guy was texting me in terms of his arrival time. Like he, he messaged me at like 1030 Friday night to say he was in Fillmore. And then he messaged me on Saturday morning uh, about 7am and said, I'll, I'll be there. I think by open uh, when you guys open at 10. And so I, in my own, you know, my own mistake, I, I 
that escaped my mind that I had told Chris that I would keep him in the loop. And so when morning came, it was almost 10 o'clock. And I tell him at that point that the customer is going to come in and be there at 10. And his, he texts me and he says, I thought you were going to keep me in the loop. And so I sent him two texts immediately making excuses. Um, I was out late Friday. I wasn't really close to my phone. And, and so I sent these two texts off where I'm essentially saying, like, don't blame me. And then I sat there for a couple of minutes and I said, you know what? It is my fault. It's not anybody else's fault. We can call it an innocent mistake, but damn it, own it. And so I messaged him with a third text and said, I'm sorry. Like, that's on me. Obviously, here I, I dropped the ball and I should have kept you informed. And um, I need to make amends. And I... Um, sorry. So... Uh, this all happens. And I think sometimes when our shadows show up and some of these shadows are just innocent, we just have a, a lapse of awareness and we just forget an important task that we're supposed to do our immediate reaction. And again, same thing to what Kelsey was talking about earlier. We want to blame somebody. We don't want to be blamed. I don't want to be at fault. I don't want the mistakes to be mine. I want them to be somebody else's. And so we go to such lengths to, Talk in a way that somebody won't criticize us or to shame them for uh, a made-up reason why it's their fault and not ours. We're, we're always looking to shift blame. And I think one of the big components of shadow work is to say like, oh, I did that. I'm the one causing the pain here. I'm the one who's unhealthy in this particular instance. I need to just look in the mirror and stare that down in the face and, and come to terms with it. So while you were talking, I was just thinking, like, at work, it's so easy to say, you know, when talking to a client, I am so sorry this happened, let me fix it, and just be that apologetic, let, let's fix it kind of person. But at home, I am, like, the worst at it. Like, you're quick to apologize, even if you know it's not your fault, because you want to move on and just be in love and move forward. And I get so stuck on my ego and my pride and I think that also falls back to where I can't give you a big head and I can't, you know, give you affirmation. And yeah, so that just really resonated with me just now. Do you guys have any, like, you have a question you guys want to throw out or something? No, I'm just thinking, um, you know, had a conversation with someone last night um, who wasn't going to come to a get together and, and, you know, for other reasons. And I think we do, we, we, rather than taking responsibility for, um, how we're feeling, it's really easy to blame other people. And, um, I just loved that, you know, she, she recognized that because I think letting go of our pride can be one of the hardest things to do. And, you know, you, you talked about, um, just owning your ship and, and sometimes it, that goes both ways. Sometimes in an argument with your spouse or in an argument with a friend or, you know, coworker or whatever, it can be really easy to make it somebody else's fault, but maybe you both have a part. And so just owning up to your part, um, can make a huge difference. Um, so I, that was the only thought I had. Why, why do you think it is that we, it's easy for us to do for people outside of our home? Why are we the worst to those we love? Yeah, I think there's a vested interest with the people that see us most closely to put on an image that you're you're hitting it out of the park and you don't have any real serious flaws. It, it's one thing to go to a stranger and go like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, I apologize for my behavior. 
But when the person, we we never want to be in the deficit of a relationship. I never want to be in a relationship where I'm fucking shit up left and right and my spouse is doing really great. And so I think these mechanisms come in to kind of even the playing field um, and try to protect us in our image. And, and I think that happens uh, in the most unhealthy ways when we, when the people that we're doing it to uh, see us the most often, they, they uh, love us, but also get frustrated because they're the closest to us. And so these mechanisms come out to kind of protect our image and to protect uh, our standing in this relationship. Yeah, I also think um, the thing that I've been saying in this past year is I have used your love as an excuse to behave badly. So we are constantly taking each other for granted, like, oh, I can do this thing because you're going to love me no matter what. When the fact is, that's not true. That person can have enough and walk out at any point. And so I think we need to stop making those excuses of my spouse loves me so I can behave how I want because they're always going to love me and they're always going to forgive me. So I think we need to stop taking each other for granted. Um, And there's been some conversations in our group where, um, you know, people have talked about their friendship and how they'll be careful about how they word things, but then turn around to their spouse. We don't have that same respect for our spouses. So I think we really need to start working on that. I agree. Another question I have is, why is it easier for us to make space for certain people and and their insecurities and their struggles, but not for everyone? That's a good question. I I tend to pick out people who are the most like me. So for instance, Mikkel is a lot like me in a lot of ways. And so I cut her slack because by cutting her slack, I'm cutting me slack. Um, and, and, and yet when I find other people whose unhealthiness is very different from mine, I tend to want to keep some distance. That's that's not that's not the space I want to be in. Uh, when I see people's differences that are so different that they maybe annoy me, and and so I think that plays a part. And I think it can sometimes be the opposite too. Sometimes a shadow that we sense in another that we just dis, you know have discussed over. The reason we have discussed sometimes is because maybe we're not aware of it yet, but it's inside of us. Um, so I think it works both ways. I like that. Yeah, I have a list if you guys don't mind me sharing. Um, So a couple years ago, a few years ago, when I first started hearing about this shadow work, I was so lost. I had no clue what that meant. And I can't even remember when I realized, oh, that's what shadow work is. So I was the same thing I was listening to the other day. Some of the things he pointed out, some things pointing to maybe some shadows is when you point out your own securities and you project them on other people, when you harshly judge others, especially those quick snap judgments, if we have a quick temper with people in charge of us, like supervisors or managers or things like that, frequently playing the victim, willing to step on people to get your own success, having a messiah complex, and having unacknowledged biases. And so as I read that list, I'm like, um, yep, me, me, me. <laughs> Um, so it's kind of like we said at the beginning, it's our shit. So it's, it's the ugly things about us that we're either projecting on other people or trying to protect ourselves or whatever. So it's pretty much, I feel, it's our ugly parts. It's our ego and trying to make sense of the world when we're just kind of making things worse. The, the first one you said there, Amanda, was our insecurities. And I, and I think most of our shadows center around our insecurities. Mikkel, you mentioned earlier the kind of home that you grew up in. 
And, and being in that environment came with certain insecurities. Are, am I acceptable? What, how do I have to act or behave in order to be okay and accepted in the world? And, and often these shadows show up as these mechanisms we developed or they were handed down to us as ways to cope with the trauma that others were imposing on us or the unhealthy environments that we lived in. And I think the moment you start to sense like, oh, what are my insecurities and, and what are my mechanisms to protect me from those? I think that's a great, a great way to start leaning into like, what are my shadows and how do I start to work on those? Yeah. And, and for me, I think that um, another key part is, you know, we, we all have these parts of ourselves, these shadows that we may not necessarily like, but they're not always, a. I mean, yes, they're un, unhealthy, but it's also part of what makes us us. And um, learning to just be okay with it rather than judging it, um, I think will help you, one, be aware, and two, be willing to work on them. There was this quote by Carl Jung that says, "Um, how can I be substantial if I do not cast a shadow? I must have a dark side also if I am to be whole. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I think to kind of go along with that as well, I've noticed for myself as I begin to recognize and see my shadows and how I react because of them and how I have for so long, it's almost easier for me to see that in other people and recognize from what they do, why they're doing it and recognizing that that's just part of their way of coping. That's how they have survived through these years. And to maybe even have a little more empathy and a little bit more understanding of you know, this is, this is how they do it because, you know, that, that, that really is how they've survived and to have a little more compassion and maybe a little more space for other people when I see and recognize that in myself. Yeah, we, we did a thing and I think all of us have talked about the Enneagram and I don't want to necessarily go into detail explaining it, but just to say that there are distinct personality types among the human population and, and people very much are born with uh, certain personality types. And I think the better we can understand others and what their personality is, what their strengths are, what their flaws are, and how that comes naturally to them, I think it allows us to have more patience for each other too. So when I, you know, we've got a a friend who's either a a seven on the Enneagram or maybe a seven wing, and, and that shows up in certain ways. We've got people in our group who are a six on the Enneagram, and it shows up certain ways. We've got people who uh, are a two or a nine, like Kelsey, you're a nine, you're a peacemaker. And so it when we start to understand people's personality types and what sort of, kind, I don't want to say a box, I don't want like to put people in boxes, but a little bit of a... Um, it gives some clarity. Yeah, yeah. It, it, when you understand what makes people tick and why they're different than you, then you can make more space for them to be them uh, and not to see every little thing that's different as something that's unhealthy or annoying or needs worked on. So um, just in talking about the Enneagram, Kelsey and I took the, the test and I'm a one which is perfectionist and I always used to think of that as something really negative. Um, but in, in taking this test, you know, it, it talks about the positives. And so for, for example, I, I prefer the dishwasher to be loaded a certain way because <laughs> it, for me, it's about efficiency and order. And Kelsey likes to just load it any old 
like just, just throw everything in. However, I can get the most dishes in without, or it doesn't need order. Just as long as I get them all in there, we're good. So in understanding that piece of her personality, she wasn't doing it to piss me off or annoy me. It's like, that's what works for her. And my way works for me. And it's okay for us to agree to disagree. Her way is not necessarily the right way and and neither is mine. But now we have an understanding of why we do some of the things that we do um, as far as personality goes. It, It does, it helps me have a greater appreciation and understanding and make space for, um, for things. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things that I have letting go of is most things. There's not a right or wrong. There's just different. And I, I really struggle with that. And so there's a lot of things I'm still very binary on, um, is because I'm having a hard time with there's just differences. Like I I get so stuck on right or wrong. And so that's one of the things I'm, I'm really struggling and trying to let go of. Um, and then what I was going to say, I was going to bounce off of Kelsey, is I have noticed that about myself too, as in, you know, once I started noticing shadows and starting to want to work on them, um, I, I do have more compassion for other people, because I used to have snap judgments all the time. And and for me, I think it was like, I want to judge them before they can judge me, because I know they're going to judge me. And so now that I'm I'm trying to work on myself and be a better person, I have found that it is so much easier to have love and compassion and understanding for other people. I love that. So I think like, just recap, what, what do you do to be aware of your shadows? What are some of the tools that have worked for you to help you become more aware and um, maybe change some of the things that you do? And what resources can we point people to that would be useful or beneficial for them? Yeah. So you guys were talking earlier, uh, reading books, I think opens reading books on development. Eckhart Tolle is a new earth. Uh, Miguel Ruiz is, uh, the, uh, the four agreements or the fifth agreement, uh, reading, um, untethered soul, untethered soul, which you're reading right now, Amanda. And, and I think several other people in our group, I'll, I'll tell you, we've got a friend, um, Natalie and she read the untethered soul and it is a night and day difference as I've spoken to her over the last week who who she was before that book and who she was after. I mean, that, that points right there to the effect that reading these kinds of things can have on us. Um, listening to podcasts, Mikkel, you pointed out a good one. Having, having friends who are willing to be honest to you about your shadows, but also not judge you as less than. They just love you in them. Um, that, I think, is helpful. So in terms of beginning to lean into shadow work, I think you have to start reading and talking and thinking and wrestling with the subject. Uh, and I think that starts it. So, so I, I'll start off by saying those things to get us kind of edged into that field. Um, I'll leave it up to you guys maybe to talk about some of the other questions there Mikkel had asked. So I I think that, you know, we we are super lucky because we have an amazing group of friends, this community that we have found that has been willing to um, sit with us and be vulnerable with us. And and this is this is something that I want the listeners to know is possible for for anyone everywhere. I think it starts with vulnerability. I think as soon as you are willing to open up and share hard things with other people, I think humans are craving that. We crave 
to have that authenticity. We crave to have those connections with other people. And as we are willing to maybe pull away layers and open up to each other and be vulnerable. I love Brene Brown's, um, her, her words on vulnerability and talking about being in the arena and you, the only people that should matter who you get feedback from are those who are willing to be in that arena with you, to be vulnerable with you. And, and I, I think that's so true. Like you is, you become vulnerable and open up. Other people will do the same. And, and I think you'll be able to help support and help each other through this and learn more about yourself. Yeah. Going back to my coworker, um, one of my very first interactions with her was like, her just sharing tiny bits and pieces of her story and then me being willing to listen. And then, and then also like Kelsey pointed out like, Oh dude, that like, I do that too. Um, it, it does take a certain level of you being willing to be vulnerable and expose those parts of yourself that you previously have tried to hide or diminish. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it takes practice um, and you might find that you you share vulnerabilities with people who use them to their advantage um, and try and hurt you. But as you as you are more open with other people, um, oftentimes you're learning things about yourself, and they're learning things. You know, again, my coworker we we call it therapy therapy Mondays because I'll end up in her office and just be like, dude, I totally fucked things up this week. I said this, or I acted this way. Find people who are willing to do the thing that you're doing. Yeah. Be authentic and vulnerable. That, that will get you started. Yeah. I was going to say, I've noticed with Kelsey's parents as we, one of the first things that we did with them is it was shortly after we were thinking about taking a break or breaking up we went to um, Kelsey's grandma's cabin and all of her family was there, her parents, her siblings. And we just asked them, like, what do you guys do when you're fighting? How do you resolve your differences? Which was really scary for us to admit that we were in that space where we were having a lot of conflict and a lot of difficulty. Um, and I think it caught them off guard a little bit. But it, I, I think that that was a pivotal moment in our relationship with her family because now they are much more willing to talk about the struggles that they're having and they're much more willing to ask questions of us and have us also ask questions of them. Mm, yeah, I think when you start to be vulnerable, people start to pick up that that is a trait of value. Like we spend the first half of our lives hiding ourselves from others or present, presenting a certain version of ourselves, And I think the moment we start to run into vulnerability, we start to recognize like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a good trait. And so when one person is vulnerable, it makes a space for now others to do it. Um, another thing I, I find is helpful is as I've read some of these developmental books and tried to understand the process that we humans move from various stages of, uh, I want to say cognitive development from a lower stage to a higher stage, you become aware that you're, of what your ego is and what it's doing. And one of the things that's really helpful to me in shadow work is to treat my ego as if it's a separate thing. And, and in my mind, I picture it as uh, like just like a ball. 
And what I do inside my head is I take that ball out from inside me, I pull it out, and I set it off outside of me. And so now I can look at it as a separate thing, and I say, that's not me. That thing wants to protect itself. That thing felt poked. That thing has hurt feelings. But I can sit here separate from it and just sit in that space and go like, okay, I'm going to set all that aside and go like, what's the healthy way to respond here? And and then I want to also just note, as I say that, I don't want people to get the impression that this stuff is easy and we're knocking it out of the park. The reality is every day, the four of us and everybody else is fucking this thing up. And 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 that's why they call it practice. Because in practice, yes, you're getting better, but you're also making mistakes and there's space to make mistakes. They call it shadow work because it's hard. You and I and uh, Kelsey and Amanda were sitting on that bench after the restaurant that day. And I'm looking at you guys like, okay, you've told me what I need to do. You've told me this thing that's dark and ugly. And I see what has to be done to fix it. And it's too hard. I don't want to do it. And, and so I think all of us are wrestling with how much work goes into this uh, to, make, to make incremental changes towards healthiness. And I think sometimes it feels like that much work is um, not worth it. But quickly, you start to sense like, no, 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 I can't, I can't just stay where I'm at. I want to keep growing. And, and so you kind of recommit yourself to putting the work in. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's sometimes really hard. And it takes a lot of work. Um, but there, there's a lot of benefits too. not only do I mean, for me, I feel I feel better when I'm able to see the shadow and and make a commitment to do better. Um, but I think it improves every other aspect of my life. My I feel like my relationship is better, not only with Kelsey but with other human beings. And um, I, I, that's key. But I think, like you said, we have to. I think it's important that we also just acknowledge those incremental small changes and celebrate them rather than always beating ourselves up for not getting it right. And for me, that's something that I've had to come to accept is one, I'm never, I'm never going to be completely free of shadows. And two, it's not going to happen instantaneously. It's, it's going to take work and time and practice and giving myself space to make mistakes while still learning and growing. Yeah. You'll never be a finished product. That's one of the hardest things, huh? <laughs> I know for myself, I I want to be able to reach a, an ending point of being like, okay, I finished this, I succeeded, I did this. And there are moments when when you hit those where you go, okay, I, I man, I just I made a big change and I feel good. And then you fall and you go back, you regress back to maybe one of those behaviors that you did before. And, and then it's that whole, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to be upset with yourself and get angry because it is, you will forever be in that work of progress. But also we have to remember that that's part of the excitement of life. Like if we figured it all out and got to a point when we were, we were perfect and we had everything down, uh, that wouldn't be any fun. I would have nothing to tease you about, Bill. That's true. And Part of what I like about, so, so again, in the first half of life, we try to put on the facade of having our shit together. And one of the things I really love on this side of things when I'm hanging out with other humans who, who want to grow and develop and they want to be vulnerable, 
one of the things I like is that like you sense like oh this is real like this is re- like this is what people are really dealing with is. When I used to go to church as a 25-year-old, I used to walk in the building and all of us had our shirts and ties on and the women had their dresses on and everybody smiled and everybody looked like they were raising their kids perfectly. And I would go home and my home was a shit show. Things were falling apart. Everybody's screaming and yelling at each other. Everything's a mess. And I thought, man, I'm failing. And now I sit around people who are being vulnerable about their own shadows and I'm going like, oh, we were all struggling all along and it becomes magical when people start to talk about it. Yeah, it's really cool. And you know, I'll, I'll add one more thing that's been really um, kind of surprising for me. So one of our friends, um, super into reggae music. And I've, I've recently just, you know, when I first heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, why do we have to listen to this? It's so dumb. But as I listen to it more, I'm loving it more. And, and part of why I love it is because the messages are positive and it's like the songs are people working through their shadows and how they're doing it. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Reggae music, I think more than any other genre is sitting in that field of helping us develop and helping us sit with our shadows. And, and as you point out, does it with a really positive message? Like, yeah, lots of shit's going on, but, but we can all choose to be happy uh, in our own sphere, uh, as we kind of tackle these things and work on them. Yeah, it's awesome. Any other words from you guys? No, this has been a really fun conversation. Yeah, I love it. I hope that people walk away. We'll have a ton of resources uh, on shadow work, what it looks like, what kinds of areas of shadow work people can delve into. And for the listener who wants to start working on this stuff, or at least even just at the beginning, just wants to know what it is and what it means. Uh, there's tons of places for them to go off and listen to more and read more. Um, but maybe we should end this way too. Uh, books that you guys do recommend. We were talking earlier about The Untethered Soul or A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Uh, who wrote The Untethered Soul? Do, we, do either of you guys know? Michael Singer? Yeah, I think that's it. Um, for me, it's anything by Brene Brown. Yeah, yeah. vulnerability. And then... Um, I also, there's a lady who does meditations and her name, her name is Gabby Bernstein. So some of her work just either through meditations or, um, I've read one of her books as well. Um, she was kind of pivotal for me in being able to sit with my shadows. I really like the four agreements that has been a big help for me. And that's kind of a, a different side of, of seeing things, Um, but I would suggest anyone interested, check it out. Um, and then I don't have any other really specific titles that I would suggest. I just for myself, I'm going to school right now in psychology and I love that field. And I have learned so much from just from my classes and from the studying that I do in those textbooks. And so my encouragement would just be to keep on reading like you guys have said and learning that drive to to learn and have knowledge is is going to bring you power yeah and i also i read the fifth agreement and the book unfuck yourself by gary bishop i read those two back to back and those were really good for me yeah and and i'll tell you too just to maybe add just a drop of uh, religion or spirituality to the conversation when i've read books or delved into podcasts that deal with buddhism uh, Buddhism to me is 
a a spiritual system built around shadow work. And so there's a lot of Buddhist ideas uh, that resonate with me. Uh, there is a book, and, and I just I fell in love with it, and I didn't know that I was going to like it originally when I started to listen to it. It's called Buddhism for Beginners, and the author is named Jack Cornfield. The book is just, it, from, from the beginning to the end, uh, it grabbed my attention and was pointing me to some of the things that we were talking about today and uh, has been a big help for me kind of growing in the last six months. Yeah, and just kind of playing off of your mention of Buddhism, um, I really have enjoyed Bruce Tift's book, um, Already Free. Um, that's been that's been a really, really good book. Um, and I've quoted his phrase a couple of times in previous episodes, but we've got to stop bringing the past into the present. Yeah, yeah. The whole being present lets go of all the stories and you just enjoy the moment you're in or mm-hmm. you sit in the turmoil of whatever's going on in the present moment, but without assigning a story to it. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's another tool that people can use is that meditation, using that mindfulness to help bring you to the present moment. And, and that can help you too. Yeah. Become aware of your thoughts as they're passing, passing on the screen of your mind. Mm -hmm. Man, I I love the conversation. I, I hope people, I hope people really enjoy this. And again, there's just tons of things to go off into. There's, the, the there is an unlimited amount of places to to work on your own self and to have the resources to do that with. So really loved the conversation with you guys today. Yeah, I love you guys. Love yes, you too. Love you. I love and adore you guys so much, and I consider myself such a lucky human being. Thank you. Same. Yeah. Right back at you. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit no nonsense spirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.